please do keep your Bibles open on that page. And if you've lost it, uh, it's page 1073, page 1073, uh, John chapter 13. Uh, when you've got that, can I also ask, if you don't mind, to open up the uh, bulletin you received as you came in, and the center page of the bulletin has got the sermon outline. Uh, so if you have that open in front of you as well, then uh, that might be helpful as well. But uh, most important, page 1073, John chapter 13. Let me lead us in prayer as we begin. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak to us by your Spirit through your Word, and that you've been speaking to us as your Word has been read and sung. Uh, and we pray now that as we come to consider this passage, your Spirit will continue to be at work. Uh, may, he, may he enable me to preach this Word rightly in his power. Uh, may he work in each of our hearts. May he open our eyes that we might, we might see Jesus uh, what he has done for us and give us hearts that appreciate him and love him uh, and seek to serve him uh, and serve others as well. So we commit this time to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. In 2015, uh, a new mom was staying in a hospital in Canberra with her nine-week-old son. And when she came out, she found an envelope with a parking ticket on her car. And here's what she wrote on her Facebook post. After those days in hospital, a parking ticket was one more thing I didn't need. Well, to my surprise, when I opened the envelope, there was a note from a lovely lady named Laura. Now, Laura's a complete stranger. But the note read this. I saw your car had a parking ticket on it. I'm sure whatever you were going through at the hospital is tough enough, so I have paid for you. Hope things get better. What a lovely act of service. Well, in our passage today, we are looking at an even greater act of service, an act of service which someone has served us in an even bigger way, although, like Laura, he didn't need to. And we'll see him call upon us to serve others as well. Uh, today, we are restarting a sermon series in John's Gospel, uh, where we left off last year. Uh, you may recall that John tells us the reason why he wrote his Gospel uh, in chapter 20, verse 31. You see in the box on your outline. Uh, and it says that these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The whole point that he writes this Gospel is that people will believe in Jesus and have life. Now, many commentators divide up John's gospel into two halves. The first 12 chapters, which we preached through over the last few years, they call the book of signs. Why? Because there are seven major signs uh, that we see in these chapters that show us who Jesus really is. And then from chapter 13 to the end, John shows us what happened on the night Jesus was betrayed, and then on the day he died, and then what happened when he rose again. And this part is called the book of glory. Why? Because Jesus was glorified through his suffering, his death, and his resurrection. And this is the part that we'll be looking at over the next few weeks, in fact, all the way through to its climax at Easter. Now, chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 are all set on the same night. In these chapters, we see Jesus preparing his disciples for his death, 
and then praying for them and for us, and then him being arrested and taken to trial. And our passage today marks the beginning of that section, the start of that night before he died. Now, there are a couple of different calendars in use at the time for calculating the Passover. And using John's calendar, this night of Jesus' betrayal is the night before the Passover feast. And Jesus knows, in verse 1, that his hour has come to depart out of the world to the Father. Because you remember, Jews calculate the day from sundown to sundown. Sundown to sundown. I said this is the night before Jesus died, but actually... When you think of it from a Jewish point of view, that's the day he died. His hour has come. And then it says at the end of verse 1, that having loved his own who are in the world, he loved them to the end. And he was going to show them that love that very day by dying for them on the cross. But now he is going to foreshadow that death in a symbolic way. And here's how it happens. There is Jesus sharing his last meal with his disciples before his death. And among those at the table is Judas Iscariot. The devil's already put it into his heart to betray Jesus. It's going to happen soon. But Jesus knows God's plan. He knows that the Father, in verse 3, has given all things into his hand. Imagine that. The Father has given everything into Jesus' hand. He's the greatest one. There is no one in the universe superior to him. He has come from God. He's going to go back to God. And knowing this, what does he do? Well, in verse 4, he rises from supper. He lays aside his outer garments. He takes a towel and he ties it around his waist. He knows the Father has given everything into his hands and so he dresses himself like a slave. And then in verse 5, he pours water into a basin and begins to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Right, this, is a, this is a filthy task. It is normally reserved for the lowest of the servants. Now, I'm guessing that at this point, the disciples will be quite embarrassed. Right, they don't say anything except Peter. Right, most people would not don't know what to say, don't say anything. But Peter doesn't know what to say, he just says, lah. okay? And look what he says in verse 6. He says, Lord, do you wash my feet? How can? And Jesus responds to him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. It is only after Jesus' death and resurrection, that the full meaning of the symbolism of the foot washing will be clear. For the humble service that Jesus renders Peter here is a shadow of the greater and yet even more humble service he will render when he dies for him on the cross in just a few hours. And while Jesus cleans his feet with water, Peter will only be truly cleansed through that sacrifice of the blood of Jesus on the cross. Now, of course, Peter doesn't see this. He's still embarrassed about his master wanting to wash his feet. He says in verse 8, Lord, he says, verse 8, you shall never wash my feet. But Jesus says, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. 
If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Jesus is thinking about the reality. He says, look, the only way that you can benefit from me, to have a share with me, is if I wash you. The only way we can be part of Christ is through that washing and cleansing of the cross. If we don't come to Jesus to be washed from our sin, if we think we can save ourselves, we won't let him wash us, then, then we have no part with him. We can come to God only through the blood of Jesus, his death for us. There is no other way. Peter still doesn't get what Jesus is saying. He still thinks it's about the literal water. And so he says in verse 9, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. I need, I need cleaning all over. And Jesus says, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. Now, what's he talking about here? Well, to understand this, we must remember that the effects of the cross work both forward in time as well as backward. Right? Believers today are clean. Why? Because our sin was taken by Jesus at the cross 2,000 years ago. Abraham, 2,000 years before Christ, was clean. Why? Because his sin would be taken by Jesus at the cross in 2,000 years in the future. See, the death of Jesus on the cross paid for sin both for future and past. The disciples at that point are still a little bit like Abraham, just, just before the cross. They've already trusted in Jesus. They've already been cleansed by the cross, even though they haven't quite got there yet in time. So in one sense, Jesus already cleaned them through his blood that is about to be shed. They were already clean except for Judas, who was about to betray him. He wasn't clean because he wasn't really trusting in Jesus, and we know that from his actions. And Jesus says, if you've bathed, you do not need to wash. You are clean. Except for Judas, you've actually been cleaned in reality, completely clean because you're trusting in me. All we do here is the feet the symbolic gesture, the sign of the real cleansing that comes from the cross. And it's a good sign, isn't it? It pictures cleansing for the beneficiary through the humble service of the person who serves them. Brothers and sisters, let us be thankful for the humble service that Christ has performed for us. He hasn't literally washed our feet, but he's completed that greater and more humble service to which that, to which that foot washing points. Remember how he took off his garments and dressed like a servant to perform that humble cleaning service? Or even more importantly, he emptied himself of his glory, became a servant, and performed the humble cleaning service of dying for us. He has paid the penalty of our sin. And washed us clean. He has paid not just a parking fine, but the debt of sin that would have otherwise left us in hell forever. If we come to Him, if we believe in Him, if we look to Him to cleanse us from our sin, then we can be certain that His death is for us. And so the first main thing we have seen in this passage is that Jesus washed his disciples' feet to foreshadow how he would serve them at the cross. The second main thing we see in this passage is that Jesus calls us to serve each other because he first served us. He calls us to serve each other because he first served us. 
So when Jesus finishes, finishes the, the washing of his disciples' feet, he, he takes his garments and he resumes his place. And, and we know that in the reality this all points to, he will be raised and restored to his Father in heaven. And then he speaks to his disciples again in verse 12. And he says, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do, just as I have done to you. You see, what Jesus has just done is an example to these apostles. And it's also an example to us. He hasn't literally washed our feet, but he has done for us that even greater act of service by his death on the cross. And so, like the apostles, we need to follow his example. Obviously, we're not following his example of cleansing each other from sin. That was achieved once and for all. But we are to follow his example of humble, loving service. We are all lesser than Jesus. And yet Jesus humbly served us. We have no excuse not to serve others. Jesus says in verse 16, Truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. We are, we are servants of Jesus. We're meant to be serving him. We are messengers of Jesus who are meant to deliver his message. And as he set the example of service, we are to follow him in serving. Now, putting this into practice will mean different things for different ones of us. For the leaders in church, it means we are there to serve God's people, not to lord it over them. Whatever ministry we are doing, we are there to serve our brothers and sisters. We are serving God, but we're serving each other. And we are to work at serving our brothers and sisters for the sake of their good, for their encouragement and edification, for their growth in godliness, for their becoming like Christ. We are to serve for the good of God's people. And all of us are involved in that serving. Whatever ministry we're in, and all of us are involved in ministry, we should be serving God's people. We should be helping people to trust in Jesus and to grow in Him. And we're doing it in an attitude of serving. If we sing in the choir or we play the organ, we do it why? So we can serve God's people. So we can help God's people to be able to sing His praises, to encourage each other and to teach each other. And so enabling the congregation to sing. If we're handing out Bibles and bulletins or, or tidying them away afterwards, we are serving God's people by facilitating them to be able to read the Bible in church and to follow the service in the bulletin and in the, and in, the, uh, in the order of service so that they can encourage and help each other to press on. If we're counseling people, we're seeking to support them and help them to, to keep trusting in Jesus and to keep pressing on and growing in Him despite whatever difficulty they are facing. If we're washing up cups, we're doing it so that we can help and serve each other so that we are able to have times of fellowship and encouragement 
uh, and speak to each other and build up the community of God's people. If we are leading Bible studies, we are doing it so that we are serving the people in our Bible study groups so that they can encounter God uh, through the Scriptures. If we're giving lifts to people, we are serving them by bringing them to church so they can be with God's people. There are seasons in life where we can't run around and do lots of things, but, but we can pray. And even as we pray for people, we are serving them by bringing them before the throne of grace. If we're visiting the sick, we are serving them by bringing encouragement and blessing to them, uh, even as we share with them uh, from the Scriptures. If we're welcoming newcomers, we are serving them uh, by showing them the love that God has shown us in Christ and helping them uh, to become part of our community. If we're balancing the books, we are serving God's people uh, by keeping proper account uh, so that the ministry can continue and grow uh, and people can be encouraged and changed. If we are arranging the rosters, we are serving people by helping each other to serve others as well. If we're reading the Bible one-to-one -one with a brother or sister, we are serving them by helping them to learn how to read the Scriptures for themselves. If we're reading the Bible to the whole church, we are serving the church by bringing God's Word to them. If we are helping put the food, get the food for supper, we are serving God's people by enabling them to, to have time of fellowship together. If we're counting the money, we are serving God's people uh, by being responsible uh, for, for helping th that whole process of having financial responsibility uh, so the ministry can be pressing on. If we go to Agape, we are serving the children there, uh, the refugee children there, uh, by teaching them, enabling them uh, to grow uh, and in the context of hearing God's Word. If we're helping with the kids' church, we are bringing God's Word to these children in a way that they can understand. We are serving them. If we set up the room for Christianity Explored, we are serving the people who come uh, so that they have an opportunity to hear the gospel. If we train someone to follow up new believers, we are not only serving them, but also the people uh, that they'll be following up. You see, we just keep on thinking of all the things we do, and we think, actually, we are serving God's people. And we are serving God's people because Jesus served us. We do it to serve them, but ultimately, we do it for Him. We do it so they can grow in Him. There are ministries where we serve in ways we are often unappreciated. Uh, serving at home, your children, your parents, your spouse, often not recognized, but it's serving Jesus. Uh, no one's going to applaud when you read a Bible story to your children or grandchildren, but, but actually, you're serving like Jesus, aren't you? No one's going to announce on the radio when you, you feed your mother who was bedbound, but, but you're serving like Jesus. No one's going to record in the archives that you looked after the children so your spouse could go to Bible study, but you're serving like Jesus. No one's going to praise you for summoning up the courage to, to talk to your non-Christian neighbor about Jesus and, and invite them to church, but, but you're serving like Jesus. We are servants of Jesus. We are his messengers. And the very special thing he has asked us to do is to serve others by doing our part to make sure that his message goes out so that people may be clean from their sins by faith in him and his sacrifice on the cross. Will we commit ourselves to the humble service of God's people?
Now, there was one person in the room that day to whom all this did not apply. You remember how back in verse 10, Jesus said, you are clean, but not every one of you. And verse 11 explains what, that he said this because he knew who was going to betray him. You see, one of the disciples whose feet Jesus had washed was not really clean. He had the picture, but not the reality. Jesus washed his feet, but Jesus' blood hadn't cleansed his heart. He was chosen to be a disciple. Jesus said, I know whom I've chosen, but he wasn't chosen for eternal life. He looked like one of Jesus' friends, shared a meal with him, even the Last Supper, or at least this part of it, but he didn't really belong to him. And the sad truth is, my friends, that there will be people like Judas who look like they are one of us, who might eat at the Lord's table with us, might be washed with water like us, appointed to positions of leadership among us, and yet still don't really belong to Christ. Jesus warns us in verse 18, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. He's quoting from, from Psalm 41, which we will sing next week. Uh, when we look at Judas more closely. Uh, and in that psalm, David writes about the, the pain of being betrayed by a close friend. And since King David points forward to King Jesus, the experience of David anticipate the experience of Jesus here. But the important thing we're looking at today is not so much of the betrayer, well, that's for next week, but why Jesus is telling all this to his disciples. He's still serving them, but in a different way. You see, he knows the disciples will be surprised. They'll be scared. They will feel like everything is going wrong. Their world in the next few hours will come crashing down all around them. And Jesus knows that they will be traumatized by his trial, by his death, but also by the betrayal of Judas, one so close. And so Jesus tells them beforehand to help them see he is still in control. He says in verse 19, I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it takes place, you may believe that I am he. Actually, the phrase I am he is I am in the original Greek. It is the, the name of God. And so Jesus is serving his disciples by showing them that he knows what's going to happen. He is not going to be surprised. Nothing that happens this night is going to shock him. Nothing that happens this night is going to be out of control. He is God. He knows what he's doing. So when it all happens, rather than falling into despair, he wants his disciples to believe. As he knows they're about to be terribly traumatized, he, he adds on in verse 20 a, a word of assurance. He will continue to stand behind them. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. As the apostles go out to serve Jesus in the future, those who receive them, receive Jesus. And therefore, God the Father. In fact, even today, when we receive the message of the apostles, we are receiving the message of Jesus, the message of God.
And in a secondary way, this links up to our main point about service as well. As we serve those who are serving Jesus, and that's each other, we are serving him. If we are serving Jesus, if we are making him known, that when people receive us, when they help us, when they enable us to continue to do the work they are doing, they are also serving him and the Father. So let us take heart. Even when things are tough, even when it looks like everything is going wrong, God is still in control. He knows what he's doing. God brings good even out of evil. Jesus did die, but he rose from the dead. Keep on serving Jesus, who loves you and died for you, to wash you clean from your sins. And God will stand behind you as you do. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that the Lord Jesus has shown us his love. Thank you that he humbly served us by going all the way to the cross to die for us, to wash us clean from our sins. Thank you for that amazing example of love and service. And we pray that in response to that, we would be people who love and serve others as well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.